18. Well, we did 16 and a half, but because of the way, but because of the way the Apple Podcast does the numbers, this is going to be 18. Nope. There was no official 17. Nope, 17 slash 18. Nope. We have Jeremy Piven joining the podcast today, which is a wonderful interview, but also was a big get for us because we had just watched Entourage at the compound, and it was like, how cool would it be to have Jeremy Piven on? And then we actually were able to get him on, a.k.a. Ari Gold from Entourage. He uh, is very different from the character Ari Gold. Not what we would have expected when we first went into the interview of just how his personality was. I, I was like so ready for him to be screaming, just being Ari. And like the first five minutes, I was kind of like looking around. I was like, is this the same guy that I'm thinking of? It was, it was eye-opening. We actually talk about it a little bit in the interview, which you'll hear later. He was so good in that performance that you assume that that's who he is as a person. Right, which is even more of a testament of how good it really was. That's how good of an actor he is. Right. Just an absolutely wonderful performance. So we're going to kick it off with worst and best. We're going to see if there's an is that so or no really I believe you moment of the week. And then we'll get you into the interview. So Dakota, worst and best. The worst part of my day is probably the fact I got four hours of sleep last night, so I'm really tired and have low T. Just in and out of sleep all night, right? In and out of sleep all night. That's yeah. why. Just restless sleeper. Right. It's tough. Um, best part of my day, there's a lot of soccer on today that I've been able to watch. I love me some football, so I've enjoyed that all, all morning. Had some Starbucks to go with it, so it's, it's been a good morning. How are your bets going? Uh, I don't gamble in. I don't know what it is you're speaking of. He doesn't gamble. He just donates. No, I just enjoy watching sports. That's all it is. I would never gamble on sports. Zach? Worst part of my day was my golf performance this morning. I was really excited for it because there was about 40 guys playing in this this pool, I guess, um, coming off of a hot week. And I just talk about donating money. I just donated to somebody. What was the donation? Uh, it wasn't too much, but it was, I mean, it was just a one. There was no, because there were so many guys. There wasn't any skins. There wasn't any greenies. There wasn't any any other prop i guess you could say but um it would have been sick to win because there was 40 guys times however much it was to get in it but yeah it wasn't my best performance speaking of golf gambling i went out last week or two weeks ago and played in a game out here i was we just got into like the thursday tips game which you play from literally the back of the box which i love and i found out a couple days ago that i won 200 in that game still haven't seen it gonna have to go after somebody for that money is that so is that that so that's my is that so (laughs) yeah where's that money right is that so somebody has my 200 in their pocket and the best part was wasn't from today but i played beth page black this week and that was quite an experience um but it was honestly nuts to see so i mean we played the public tips where you could say and then behind that i mean that was at least 75 or 7600 yards and then behind that, we probably there were probably at least 400, 300 to 400 extra yards that you missed. The I U.S. Mean, Open are deep. I mean, it was literally like there were some holes where you could attack, like you could kind of cut a corner. And back there, you would have to play straight to the dog leg instead of trying to go over something. And it was absolutely insane. 
I couldn't imagine. My worst and best go together. And I'm going to start with the worst and we're going to end with the best, of course. But the worst part is the realization that as Chicago opens and goes to phase four and people can do more things because of where we are in the season and play, what guys have to do to stay safe and keep the team safe, we're going back into quarantine. We're not going to be able to do, I mean, it's great that we're getting back to work, but we're not going to be able to do anything, which leads me right into my best part, which is the fact that in a couple of days, we're going to be back together with the team. And right. I'm excited. You'll be back. I'll be back with the team. Thanks for trying to say we, but me and Zach will hang out. And I was, I was going to roll with it just for content purposes, but I appreciate you guys trying to roll with them. Hey, we'll I see. Didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't like a shot. I wasn't trying. I was no, trying. No, no, it wasn't a shot either when you told Zach he was going to South Bend last week before he'd even heard anything. I mean, that was just absolutely rude out of nowhere. And then he, he decided, no, oh, I was just, I was just joking. Yeah. He goes, no, I was joking. You know, it's just a friendly I raz. I don't know who no. is. Yeah. Girl. No, that wasn't a friendly raz. You were taking a shot at him and it landed. That's messed up, man. I was trying, it wasn't supposed to be a shot. It was meant not to be offensive. Think before you speak, you know? Yeah. I mean, just think of how your actions affect others, Ian, and your comments. I right. apologize. Wasn't supposed to be like that, right? But you didn't apologize until four days later. So we have we have a little bit of a riff going right now. It's just it's it's just rude. That's all it is. It's just rude. Zach, do you have a uh, no really I believe you moment of the week? Yes. So the whole talk of when I came home uh, is that my brothers have been playing very good golf, and so I was excited to get some matches in with them. You know, be competitive. And since I've been home, neither of them have played well when I am around playing in their group. So last night. I go and play a few holes with them. And apparently one's one over, the other one's even. I'm like, oh, sick. And then I get there, I join them on like the fifth or sixth hole. And they are spraying the ball left, right, down, up. And then I left early. And then at the end, Brady comes home and he's like, oh, yeah, I ended up shooting 70. I was like, oh, is that so? I was Hmm. there and I saw you double three holes in a row. So Hmm. tough to make 70 out of that. Is that so? No, Brady, I believe you. No, seriously. I'm sure you didn't have a hole in your pocket. Putting Brady on blast, too. I mean, that's just typical, though. That sounds about right for Brady because you know why? Because he's a Zach clone, and that's why it's typical and why I'd expect it because Zach would do that. For sure. Now the shots are coming from Dakota, not me. I mean, Jesus, what is going on? (laughs) They're not stats. Don't say the J word. Your mother listens to this, and she'll wash your mouth out with soap, soap, and you know it. Let's jump into the Piven interview. Here's Ari Gold, huge Cubs fan. Big Chicago guy from Evanston, the Piven Theater. Here is Jeremy Piven. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. Uh, we got you on the phone, upside down on speaker, recording into the mic. So we're, <laughs> we're locked in. I can't tell you how I'm excited. I just, I, let's get it on. <laughs> I, so, I don't know what else, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast at all, but you're here with Dakota, Zach, and Nico, and myself. So we're we're ready to go. We're excited. Let's do it. First of all, Dodger Stadium. Every time we're in Dodger yes. Stadium, I see you behind the uh, dugout. Absolutely love yeah. that. Are you like every time the Cubs are in LA, you're coming to the games? For sure, absolutely. I got I got you know I got to catch you guys when I can. You know, and that's unfortunately some of the only times I, I've been on the road doing stand-up. And so I try to come and see you guys whenever I'm in town in Chicago, but it's not as often as I would like. When was the last time you were in Chicago? Like, do you get to make it during the summer at all? Yeah, I, I get there. I was there doing the, the Vic Theater, which I loved. 
And I, I get there a couple times a summer. I wish it was more. Yeah, the uh, the stand up scene in Chicago is awesome. Just being able to be around the city and kind of get a feel for like Second City and all the great actors that have come through there. It's so cool. Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to to be a part of Second City and grew up in the Piven Theater. We have a theater out in Evanston on the north side. And uh, so, yeah, I came up through that system. And and one of the reasons why uh, Chicago actors and sketch uh, comedy performers and stand-up comics get so much love is, is we get so many reps because people support, as you know. They come out in droves. In Chicago, they really support the arts. They support the team. I mean, the Cubs, like... Win or lose, they're going to be in the stands. And getting those reps in front of people is invaluable. And I do really believe in that kind of Malcolm Gladwell, ten thousand hours theory. Um, if you just if you just stay after it and you grind, you're not going to get worse. Yeah, I think we believe in that theory too. <laughs> the uh, coaches are always telling us like, if you're trying to make a, a change to your swing or, or any anything in baseball, like you need ten thousand hours and. You're at about hour a thousand. You're like, God damn it, I can't do another nine thousand hours. <laughs> but it's definitely part of our profession and too. All of us aren't really there yet either, so we'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, what do you what do you think is the difference between good and great, especially on the, on the level that you guys are playing at? Because you know, especially with things like the Last Dance that we just saw, I'm sure you guys saw it. Oh well, yeah, and it's totally yeah, it's totally inspiring and. You get to see MJ really in a way that we haven't seen it before. And he was very revealing about his drive and ambition. And usually players, you know, they say that they don't care about individual accolades and all that kind of stuff. But he was saying, you know, he wanted the MVP in it. And, you know, they gave it to Malone or whatever, and and it fired him up. I know that he was always looking for something to kind of get him going. But what do you think is some of the major variables between a guy who plays on in the pros, you know, bats 180 or bats 300. Yeah. I think in our game, there's a bunch of different things. I think the number one thing that we see with guys who don't make it or who make it and don't have a ton of success is, is really mental for us. Like we get beat down so often because succeeding three out of 10 times is considered good, like really good. So for us to be able to, be mentally strong to keep believing in yourself, like really have positive self-talk. And I think that's a huge part of it. But then just the guys that are the most consistent, I think like on our team, like when you look at Riz, who's been just so consistent over the course of his career, like those are the dudes that when you look around the league, like the guys that are always going out there, always performing consistently with their consistent routine. That's the big difference that, that I've seen. I think baseball, like you hear it all the time, baseball is just a game of failure. So just kind of accepting that, you're not always going to go out there and go five for five with five home runs or strike out the side or something like that. You just kind of got to accept that and work from there. Accept it. Yeah. And let it go. Yeah. And um, grow from it. Yeah. And learn every single time. It's, it's obviously easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And some do it better than others, but isn't it? And I'm just, cause I've never played on that level, obviously. Um, isn't it also just about how, completely present you are or you let yourself be yeah that's also a great point where you know mj would get so motivated over the littlest things and he would take that to that night or wherever he was playing and in baseball you know yeah you can get motivated but you also kind of have to hone that in and not get so over anxious where you're running all over the place baseball's not a game where you can rev yourself up and do yeah, it really well it's much more under- damn it you didn't get a hit <laughs> yeah. 
mean, the, the only, I, I have no real reference for what you guys do because when I grew up, I went to Edmonton High School on the north side and um, played football. And there aren't any five foot nine linebackers in the NFL, <laughs> uh, you know, oddly enough. But anyway, so I do, I do have a reference. We had tons of people at our school and we played, you know, a lot of heavy competition and it was great to be able just to be a part of that. But I never played baseball. I remember playing where the Marlins play, big old stadium, tons of, you know, actors and athletes playing and retired players and, and, but like recently retired players. Mm -hmm. And I I got in the batter's box and it was just so interesting because when you take a civilian and you put him in that situation, um, and I'm very delusional. I consider myself an athlete. And by the way, (laughs) all actors, all actors are frustrated athletes, but you know, and, and, and my learning curve is, is pretty fast. They were just saying, you know, just because my first swing, and I'm not making this up, got such a huge laugh in a studio, in a, in a stadium, that it was like, it was like I was doing stand-up comedy. That's how, that's how bad my swing was, because you're all tight, I have no reference for it, I don't really have any muscle memory, and they're all just yelling at me, just breathe, just breathe. And sure enough, I just kind of just stayed as, pre- I, I meditate, and I, I've had a meditative practice for a while. And, you know, I just got, I just kind of just breathed and just had nothing to lose and just kind of, and just kind of just followed through, connected with the ball and got a single. And that feeling is, you know, is incredible and what is addictive and probably what hooked you guys and, and what hooks anyone that plays golf. But to be able to do that, in a, you know, in a pro game is, is insane. We have to, we have to tell you here at the compound, we binge, we'd all seen Entourage. Plenty of times. But yeah. we binge watched it again the entire series and we love it. We great, absolutely great quarantine love it. show. <laughs> it is. It is. And you know, it's funny, you know, we're all looking for something to entertain us. So we're living in times where everyone I mean the, the, this is a great reset for all of us, obviously. Because we, we now have so much time and we could do all the things that we didn't have time for and deepen good habits and if you were meditating now you're 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 even deepening that. And, you know, it's an incredible time. And like, what are we watching? And it's not what I'm hearing is it's we're not watching things that are necessarily politically correct. Mm -hmm. And yet before this pandemic, it was all about political correctness. Mm -hmm. And I think just what we gravitate towards is basically authenticity, something that brings true or is authentic entertains us you know look at the tiger king you know that guy just basically you know wrangles tigers and convinces straight men to sleep with him that's not very uh, politically correct <laughs> and you saw espn was that when they aired the jordan documentary they you would never think espn would go explicit and like simulcast on espn to the clean version for them to do that i thought that was breaking barriers for sure oh completely and then you know even jordan all these years later still got the jordan rules He's swearing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's just like, it was just surreal and inspiring to watch that. That was incredible. And I got lucky. I, I don't know if you saw my story, made it into like one of the episodes. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. awesome. We also saw the Ari Gold spinoff uh, video. Is there, is there any truth to that? You know, that was just, it came out of just what you guys just said. When people every day, you know, reach out to me on, on social media and say like, you know, I'm going through Entourage again and, you know, I've seen all of them in the movie and, and you know, what about 
And you have to understand the HBOs and Netflix and all the you know the platforms. They don't they don't see what I see, which is the reality of people in real time and what they're watching. And they keep coming to me and saying, you know, like this is what we would love to have right now. And so I just decided just to kind of just let that be known. So it just came from the need from the people and from that energy. And I just kind of put it out to the universe and it went viral. And, you know, you never know what can come from that. Well, has, it, has it gained any traction yet? I'm unfortunately the last one to know. <laughs> I've always been the last one to know. You know what I mean? So things could be, you know, wheels could be put into motion and then, then they ring me oh, up. Yeah. You never know when you're, you're going to be called up. Well, if you need yeah. us to put in a call to HBO to help it out, we can do that for you. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. You know, e- even if you look at what's one of the great things that Doug Ellen did, who created the show and did such a brilliant job, one of the things that he did with Steve Levinson and everyone else involved in Wahlberg was they, they tried to make it as authentic as possible. And Ari Emanuel, you know, went and, and now runs IMG as well. And so he's in sports management. And it was part of the group that bought the UFC. So I think it would be interesting to see Ari Gold dealing with athletes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Definitely. That That's a whole other dynamic that I think would be fascinating. That dude's got plenty of life story for you to build on. <laughs> exactly. You know, and as I said, you know, actors are frustrated athletes. So we we're watching sports all the time. We're addicted. I remember when, when you guys won the World Series – you know, after 108 years, um, I was shoot. I was doing a night shoot with Jamie Fox, and the game started, and it was like torture because you know here I am, a lifelong Cubs fan, and it finally happens, and I'm on the set, and you know I my first priority has to be to be totally present in that shoot. So I would have like crew members coming up and whispering in my ear, you're down, you're down two runs. (laughs) And I'd be in the middle of a scene, you know, just like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the rain delay and literally the game took 111 years. It was just the game that, that game was forever. And I got, I literally wrapped and I ran down the street and was standing right outside the pub and got to watch that final play. And so I got to see I got to see it happen in real time by just, you know, one play. So I felt very fortunate. That's incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. It was an incredible feeling. And then of course celebrated all night. <laughs> um, it was it was amazing. Do you guys can you sense and 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 I know it's a hard one to be truthful about, but how invested the town is in the Cubs and how much they love and are are so loyal. And is that inspiring or daunting or what is that like? I think as far as like the major markets, like when you talk about LA, Chicago, New York, Boston for baseball, I, I think that we have the best market because the fans care so much. You have a Tuesday day game in the middle of the summer and you think that people should be working and there's 40,000 people in the stands. Like that feeling is just absolutely incredible. The way that the fans travel on the road for us, when you go to a Miami or a Kansas City and there's more Cubs fans than there are of the home city, like every game's a home game. That is awesome. And then I, I think the other part of that is that our media isn't too hard on us, like as compared to some of those other cities, like the people just love us. And that's something that when you live in the city, when you get to experience it on a daily basis, it's so special. And I think that the players of the Cubs and the Ricketts have done a great job with this is we talk about it amongst ourselves, 
how lucky we are to have this opportunity and to put on the blue pinstripes and like it really means something to us. And so I think that that's a, a really special part of being a Cub that people from the outside don't really get to experience. Yeah, I mean, you, you just said it. Like, it's a huge advantage that you guys travel so well. I mean, that's that's kind of incredible because usually it can get a little lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I threw out a pitch and Jordan was coaching me. So <laughs> yeah. I got to know what it was like to be you for about 11 seconds. It was incredible. <laughs> were, you, were you nervous for that? Um, I, I was nervous just because I have a, a very jacked up right shoulder because um, I've been boxing for so long and because I'm totally delusional and um, have something to prove and it's, you know, why I need therapy so badly. Um, so I, I throw, I was throwing t- way too many power punches for way too long and kind of jacked up my shoulder. So I don't, I didn't, especially when I threw it, didn't have full range of motion and when you do it in front of that many people on television, you know, all you, the, the thing you don't want to do is obviously bounce it, which every one of you guys told me, thank you, because <laughs> yep. that doesn't get in my head. You know, just, you know, all, all these elite athletes screaming, don't bounce it. That really helps me. <laughs> um, to, to, he just look at, you know, here's what you don't want to do when you throw it. And here's what you do. It just open the baseball up and breathe through it. And he's just such a kind of calming force and he has such positive energy that you can't help to do your best. And did you feel that way about him and his energy? Yeah, that sounds a lot like Joe. Just breathe through the baseball, man. Just go ahead and breathe right through it. Yeah, Joe Joe is awesome. I think that his his approach and his ability to let players go out and play and just be themselves, and it didn't matter if it was on the field or away from the field. You know, he liked to cultivate your interest away from the game. He liked to talk to you about uh, you know, the, your, your other interests and kind of get you away from baseball, which is kind of the opposite of what you would assume a major league manager would be doing, be some kind of tyrant that was trying to talk to you about baseball every second. And that was the opposite of Joe. Joe wanted to get you away from it because he understood how hard it was. He had been around the game so long. And that was one of the most special parts for me with my relationship with, with him was that we were able to connect on a level away from baseball. And, and just really, I learned a lot from him as a person. We ask all of the, the Cubs fans that we've had on what your favorite Cubs memory was aside from the World Series. You can't say the World Series. Any other favorite Cubs memory? Oh, my God. There, there, are, there, are so, there are so many. Um, go, first of all, going into the locker room and, you know, all that, it's all new down there. And it's state of the art. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, civilians don't get a chance to see that. And so it was like kind of going into the back cave, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a trip, man. And everyone was just so nice and cool. And, and, and it was just a great experience, you know, and to see how humble all the players were, you know, and they're, they're doing their thing and to watch everyone's kind of like pregame ritual, you know, some guys were very loose and, and making jokes and, and other guys were just headphones on or whatever. It just was, it was just kind of fascinating to me to see you know how how everyone prepares because everyone's totally different yeah you know it's a it's amazing to see like my locker i have riz right next to me who's like the loosest dude ever when you play and then next to him is chris bryant and chris is in full uni like 
two hours before the game with headphones on. Not that he's like super tight, but he's got this routine where he's the first dude in his uniform and he's got headphones on and he's pretty quiet going about his routine. When you have Riz just like doing whatever, running around the locker room and both guys are unbelievable baseball players with great track records. But it's amazing to see from one guy to the next how guys get ready to play. Yeah, and, and every, you've, you've got to just honor everyone's, you know, what, what that path is. You know, it's just completely different. Yeah, me, I'm just a, a, I'm a freak in the way that, like, you know, I have my own, I like to, I like to warm my voice up, you know, even if I'm doing film or TV. And so I'm in the corner, usually making very weird sounds. <laughs> like Johnny Drama? Like Johnny Drama. <laughs> um, and, and, and Kevin Dillon, who played Johnny Drama brilliantly, um, that, you know, when he when he makes that noise, that's a real Dylan trait, <laughs> you know. That's crazy. But I'm just because I'm a, a theater guy, so I'm usually you know off in the corner going, but I get it, but I get it, but I get it, but I get it. Gee, yum yum yum, and people are just like, <laughs> they think that I'm having like a, a stroke. <laughs> they say it's just like it's it's, and I'm not I'm not doing that for attention. I just trying to warm my voice up. That's your routine. Literally. It's my routine. Everyone's got one. It would be like some guy going up to Chris Bryant go, bro, why are you in uniform so early? Take your <laughs> headphones off, dummy. Yeah. yeah. And, you and you'd be amazed how often that happens throughout the minor leagues. And like when young guys come up, the stigma in baseball is that to try to get guys to, to be uniform or to be the same and, and to kind of take things away from originality and to kind of mold everybody the same way. And that was one of the things that Joe was so good at is he just let guys, you know, be themselves and do whatever they needed as long as you're ready to play. And so I think the Cubs have created this great culture where it is okay to do your routine, whatever gets you ready to play. And it it's amazing because you you see that in baseball all the time where guys are like, What are you doing? That's so stupid. Yeah, but that's but then you also have to learn that whoever's telling you that it's stupid, like that has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, you know, that's on them. You know, they don't quite get it or whatever. And and then if you take that personally and you let that kind of rile you up, that's not the way to go. But that's just a great life lesson. Yeah, that comes just back to, to the first thing you asked us about, uh, about the difference between guys that are good and great. It's like the guys that didn't make it or, or, or struggled earlier, they're the guys that let themselves be influenced by that type of stuff. And, and think the guys that are as mentally strong as it comes and just won't let anything phase them. Those are the dudes that end up being the best guys in the league because they're just so confident in their routine. Have you guys heard anything about, you know, how you're going to proceed with the season? I think we could use the Ari goal that almost brought a team to LA. To yeah, that would mediate. be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> could, you, could, could you imagine if Ari Gold represented Mike Trout? <laughs> really? That's what you want to do? He's going to make $32 million this year. Not twenty seven. I couldn't sleep last night thinking that Mike Trout is only going to make $27 million. <laughs> I think that'd play out perfectly. And that would help us get a deal done. I think you could do a whole show just about that. Yeah. Just just do a show called Rolling with Ari, and it's just him rolling calls. <laughs> you know, just making players, you know, just talking about their salaries. Losing his mind. As long as Lloyd's a secretary. Assistant. Lloyd, it's like, I don't really know a lot about baseball, but it's out, it's out, it's 27 million sounds like a lot, Ari. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> he 
<laughs> That'd be incredible. Has you know, obviously Ari is such a big, you know, character and obviously in that show. Has that affected getting any future roles just with like the term typecast? Yeah, right. Yeah, well it was it was interesting because you have to understand, you know, being from Chicago, which is this total theater community where you know, everyone gets intrinsically that like you're an actor. It's a work of fiction. I'm not being condescending. It's just that's the way it is. And so you play a bunch of different roles. Like I played, you know, the, a, a very kind of outwardly feminine slash gay Versace salesman in Rush Hour. You know, so you that know, was also an that amazing just, role. Yeah. yeah, that's just before I played Ari Gold. They are polar opposites. You know. Uh, the, the dean in old school is the nerdiest. When I auditioned for the to play that role, I, I went in and met Todd Phillips, uh, who wrote and directed, and and he also did the Hangovers and Joker. And he's he's a genius, um, and I hope he goes back to comedy because we need it too. Although he can do whatever he wants, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> but I remember when I when I met with him, you know, I read the script and and the movie Old School is just. I mean, you can see it today and it holds up. It's amazing. Yeah. And I, I said, this is incredible. You know, what about this role? And he's like, ah, oh, no, Vince, Vince Vaughn's playing that. You know, what about this? Oh, it's Will. All this. And everything was taken. And I said, well, what's left? And he said, you know, the only thing left is the nerdy Dean that they lock in the dumpster. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I'd love to I'd love to play that role. And he goes, you can't play that role. <laughs> I said, why? He goes, because you're, look at you. You look like, you know, one of Vince's best friends. You know, you got swagger, you know, you, you goes, you're, you're built like a gymnast. I was like, I don't even know what that means, but thank you. <laughs> Take it as thank a compliment. You. <laughs> and, um, and so I said, let me come in tomorrow and let me audition for you. And I went out and got that costume that you see in the movie. I got these horrible glasses and a sweater vest. And I, I, I did a comb over with my hair and I just launched into the character and, you know, got the role. And that's what we do. So when I started playing Ari Gold and, you know, it's, it's, it started kind of like, you know, getting out there and people were, were watching it and winning awards and blah, blah, blah. I, I wasn't working as much in the downtime. And one of my agents said to him, he goes, yeah, I had a guy, I had a, a guy who said to me who wanted to hire you, but he thought it's too good. There's no way that's acting. Oh, geez. That's I was like, what, what does that mean? So your job is to make it look seamless and authentic and and that it's almost like a documentary. So, yeah, I think there were some people out there that just thought, wow, this, this has to be that guy, which is a, it's a very big compliment because that's that's the way it should be. You know, um, I just signed on to do a job to do a movie where, um, you know, I can't talk too much about it just because it's just weird to talk about stuff before it's shot. Yeah. But the character is completely different with a very specific accent, total, a different ethnicity than I am. Like just, you know, and, and that I'm just very thankful for that. But That'd yeah, I think exciting that, challenge for you as an actor. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love, you know, the, the, the challenge of like, you know, really going deep and just figuring out who this guy is and, and, you know, working with a dialect coach and I can't wait to jump into all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, when I started playing that character, you have to understand I'd, I'd been I'd been a journeyman actor my whole life, so I had done forty movies before Entourage, and 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 I was totally under the radar. And then suddenly I'm playing this character, and then you know the knives come out, 
And you know how interesting the media can be. Um, and then suddenly you're portrayed as this character. Mm-hmm. And there have been some strange missteps. Um, I remember the Cubs, they said to me, you know, we'd love it if you threw out the first pitch and sang, you know, take me out to the ball game. And I was just thrilled. And they said, why don't you get up there for Father's Day? And it was on a Sunday, I believe. And they said, why don't you just do your signature line, you know, and, 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 and then sing the seventh inning stretch. So I literally, in the middle of a Sunday broadcast, said, let's hug it out, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I um, and they were just horrified. And I had to make a public apology to the Cubs, and I did. I was terribly sorry, but they asked me to say it. But I don't think they realized what it was exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned your awards along the way. Do you feel like – how did you feel getting the three straight Emmys and a Golden Globe? Is that kind of like – I killed that shit. Like I went out there and did it and kind of like a recognition for you and a nod to how great you were. You know, I remember I was there with my mother and, um, and they called my name and it was like, it was just, it was like kind of being like being shot out of a cannon. You just suddenly feel so incredibly emotional. You know, I lost my father as well. And you just, you just think about him, you know, you just have that moment and it just get, you get rocked. And I think, you know, I'm sure you felt it when, uh, when, when you hit that home run, it's like, I think when, when people that are very close to us, especially our fathers, they look out for us. And that was one of those moments. So, you know, I never, I never thought like, I never thought like, Oh, I'm the shit. I'm the man. Now it was more like, I guess, you know, like being like an athlete, you spend your life doing it. So you're very respectful of the space that you occupy when you're doing it. So all I, all I've wanted to do is get better. You know, I don't, I've never coasted. I've never, you know, phoned a performance in ever, you know? So to me, it just inspired me to get better. That's awesome. Everybody has that moment at some point. Like mine was the same thing that you said. Like when I, debuted and hit that home run like i that wasn't my moment i was so focused on on staying there and uh being present and being in the moment and then towards the end of the season i hit my 20th home run uh and that was to make me the fastest cub to 20 and it was something that i had been striving for that entire year and i remember walking back and this was before they had redone the dugouts at wrigley so they saw the old tunnel system yeah and I remember walking back into one of the tunnels where there was a bunch of just storage stuff and just kind of breaking down and thinking like, man, I wish my dad was here to see that. And like that you have those like small moments along the way where it's like, you're just, that's all you can think about. Yeah. And you, and you've, and you've been strong that whole time and focused and not been emotionally available. And then it all just kind of comes out. And for me, I, I remember being on stage, accepting that award, and then losing it um, on camera, which is never cute, but <laughs> yeah. it happens. Yeah, I was at least able to be down a dark tunnel. <laughs> right. No, I was in public and then went into a dark tunnel. Believe <laughs> me. But I, I'm, you know, I'm inspired by you guys doing this podcast. So it's so cool that you're doing this, and you're you're because we get to learn so much. It's like because I'm starting a podcast myself it's going to be called how you live in jay piven and it will be <laughs> i love that amazing title yeah yeah um i'm gonna release it very soon um 
and it's just it's just a gift to be able to talk to other people and learn about their journey. Before we let you go, we have a couple fan yeah. questions. So the first one is from Michael Sarami on Twitter. He said, how was being on the Larry Sanders show and working with Gary Shandling? That's a great question. That was my first job out of college. My first, my first in front of a camera. I was, I was in a theater company with Cusack in Chicago called the new criminals. And I auditioned for the role. And I just remember, I, I remember reading this script going, this thing is incredible. It's, it's actually the show in the nineties that launched original program, original programming on HBO. And if you look, the New York times basically said, you know, the best shows of the nineties. I, I don't know if, I, I think the Larry Sanders was one and Seinfeld was two or it was reversed, but it was, it was like that. And I, I just remember it felt like, because I played the head writer, um, but I didn't have a, a, a lot to do, you know, and, you know, I was, I felt like I was ready to do more, but so it kind of felt like, you know, being on the Cubs or the Bulls and being at the end of the bench, but just being incredibly grateful to, to witness and to learn from everyone involved. And Shanley was an absolute genius. And I just got to watch him. Uh, dissect scripts and figure out what works, what's funny, what isn't. And so that was that was like graduate school for me. And he he was he was a genius. God rest his soul. Our second question is from Joshua Johnson at Joshua J two four five one six zero six three. Heck of a Twitter name there. Thanks for joining the program, Joshua. Uh, he said, "What acting role did you really want and was close to, but didn't happen?" I mean, there, there, there are too many to even count. And that's one of the great life lessons is I've probably experienced more, and I'm not kidding, I've ex- experienced more rejection than most people do in, you know, in life, many lifetimes. Because, and you have to just realize to shake it off. Yeah. Because yeah. You're, you're going in there, you're auditioning, you may... Uh, you know, get a few callbacks and then, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just part of it. You know, there's so many different variables that are involved. You know, um, I remember auditioning for something one time and I went in there and did my thing and I felt it went really well. And, um, you know, you know, in the room when it, when it all comes together and I, on that note, I know that that isn't part of the question, but, but this may help people if they ever want to, go into acting or any arena when it all changed for me I I used to want it so badly you know I was too intense in the room and I think there was a bit of desperation in there as well and finally when I just went look at I'm just going to prepare as much as I can and just go in there and have a great time and just be totally present and know that I've done everything I can and then just get out of there and once I just started doing that you know, go in there, have fun, take off. That's when everything kind of changed for me. And I started getting roles, but I remember this particular role, I went in there and it it went really well. And and the laughs all came at the times, you know, I I hit all my stuff and then I didn't get the role. And and I asked my agent what happened. They said, no, you didn't get it. I said, oh man, that's because um, they're looking for pretty boys. And they're like, (laughs) listen, the agent, the agent said, don't, don't make any excuses. 
you, you know, you, you didn't make it happen. And I was like, nah, I was really cocky. I was like, no, nah, I made it happen. <laughs> it's just that, you know, they're looking for pretty guys. And, and I said, I tell you what, why don't you go and ask them what the real variable was to me not getting the role? And they went and asked and they came back to me and said, yeah, they're going, they're going, you were the funniest one they saw, but you, you're just not a pretty boy. So they went for a pretty boy. <laughs> That's crazy. And, 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 and the whole cast was very, very pretty. And the reason why you don't know the name of the show is because it didn't make it. <laughs> That was Jeremy Piven. I think the idea of a Ari Gold spinoff show where Ari Gold is a sports agent representing sports agents with Lloyd as his number two is gold. I want you to inject that into my veins. Imagine how he would have been last month trying to negotiate between the MLB and the players union. If he was on the players union side, we would have been 30 games on already. I guess we have to preface that interview by saying that that was recorded a few weeks ago. And so that was before everything was finalized. But That was recorded in the compound. Actually. In the compound. Nico is actually part of the interview. But when he went off into the Mike Trout contract and then brought Lloyd in, I, just absolute gold. If you would let him do a Ari Emanuel like, as he goes into sports agency and run a sports agency and have – you would have so many great cameos too because guys would love to come on and do that. Oh yeah, you think oh, yeah. you find you think you're famous enough to be on that show, Ian? No. Okay, good. I'm just making sure you have good stock in yourself and you understand that. I mean, Jeremy and I are friends now. We text about podcasting, so okay. That was funny he when, text, you, when he, he texted, texted you once. We're buddies. That was funny when you were freaking out. He was like, "Oh, he hates us." Yeah, yeah I was like, I was because he texted us or he texted me and was like, "Stop so. trying to include us, okay?" I, like, I actually, we're not, little, we're not like your little brother. He's patronizing us. We're not your little brothers that like you need to let tag along. Like it's okay no. to say he just texted you. We're we're right. we're fine. I'm comfortable with myself. Yeah. Like, li- hey, listeners, you know Ian does a lot of this work. Okay, you happy? Now, now I'm sitting up because I'm sick of Ian patronizing me. So he texted me and was asking if I had put the podcast out with his interview, and I told him I had to say, hey, we're saving it because you're so great. And so famous that we wanted to get the viewership up a little bit. And then we had a nice conversation about podcasting. And so we're friends. Like we are actually buddies. No. Um, I, I don't I mean, consider us more than acquaintances. I'd say we're, we're buddies now. Do you think if he came to a game, you guys would go get a drink together after? You know, he's too famous to go out in public. So we would probably yeah, probably go hang Not out. True. A little Not hang, a little backroom hang with my buddy Jeremy. Think about all maybe, the time. Maybe I would call him JP. Think about all the times that. Ari would just slip out of your mouth. Let's give the people our screen time. Two hours, 16 minutes. Two hours and 23 minutes. <laughs> Got your ass. Two hours and one minute. Bullshit. Sorry for my language. Bull crap. I'll prove it to you. I believe you. No, Ian, Ian, the thing is, is I really, I believe you. Two hours and four minutes. Oh, it's two, four. Oh, so it was two, three. I wrote down two, one when we started the show. I don't know why you had to write it down. I oh, went up three, three minutes trying to get Dakota on the show. I got no comment. Great energy today, boys. Everybody's really excited. Um, yeah, we did good. What are you talking about? We did great. It was a great episode. We're, I think content going forward is going to be a lot more baseball focused because we're going to have some actual in-person things to talk about. Maybe we'll have some more teammates we, on. We can give a practice review of every day me and Zach. We can give uh, reviews of me and Zach's at-bats against each other now. IPP is going. I cannot wait for that. 
and he's already 0 for 2 with two pop-ups, for those of you wondering. Sorry. I'm going to hit one off of Mr. Andy T. Berlin's new apartments he's got going behind the left center field wall. Ian is 0 for 0 with a walk against me. Yep, 0 for 0 with a walk. He's scared to get in there for the second AB. Saving it. I'm, I'm sitting on it. That's episode 17. 18. 17. 17, 18 of the Compound Podcast. Like, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Obvious shirts. Now that's episode 17 slash 18. Definitely not coming to you live from the Compound.